0: Welcome to Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassie Opea. You can find new episodes every Friday on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to follow along on Instagram and Facebook for all future updates at creepycases.spookyspaces. Due to the nature of this show, some of the details can get pretty graphic, so listener, discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 30 of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassie O'Paya. Just a reminder, the subscriptions for Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces are now open. You get a thank you gift for signing up. And also the Patreon is also open. So check uh, the podcast out there. And there's actually a couple of different tiers you can sign up for. And um, there's some cute little, cool little gifts to uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, so let's get started with episode 30. So, it's not every day that I encounter a case like this one. Um, it's not only creepy, but it's super, super intriguing and interesting. And some don't actually even believe that it could happen. Um, the strangeness doesn't really revolve around who um the murderer was or how they murdered our victim but it's actually as to how the police were able to solve the crime and it's basically a true crime meets paranormal um it really falls under supernatural and it's just really odd um i researched very many articles uh, to find every piece of information I could and um, I actually watched a few shows that were done on it and there's actually a movie but I couldn't find the movie even though I'm gonna keep looking for it but um, I have to say that it's definitely gonna go down as one of the most interesting cases that I've researched and probably one of my favorites And it's known as one of the most shocking murder cases in Chicago. And this is the creepy case of Teresita (laughs) Bassa. Rosita Bassa was born in the Philippines in 1929, the only child of a wealthy and prominent family. After graduating college in Manila, she made the long-distance move to the United States and earned her master's degree in music at Indiana University in the 1960s. Although she had a large passion for music and would always play a major part in her life, Teresita decided she wanted to work in the medical field and help people. She eventually became a respiratory therapist. Teresita lived a quiet life. She was quite happy with how things were going. She had a great job at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. She had recently gone back to school and was working on her doctoral thesis in music at Loyola University. She also taught piano, And she was loved by all who knew her. All accounts that I read said that she had no enemies. So when she was found murdered in her Pine Grove Avenue apartment where she lived all by herself, it shocked everyone who knew her. It was a normal Monday for Teresita on February 21st, 1977. She went to work, came home, and around 7.30 p.m., she spoke to her friend, Ruth Loeb. Ruth reported that they spoke for about 20 minutes before Teresita had to end the call, stating she was expecting a male visitor. Ruth added that she didn't ask any details. At around 8.40, Marid and Catherine Naz smelled smoke, but they couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from. They alerted the building's janitor who immediately called the fire department and began evacuating residents out of the building. When firefighters arrived, they traced the fire to apartment 15B, Teresita's apartment. They weren't prepared for what they saw when they entered. The home appeared to be ransacked, and once they put out the fire, they found the naked body of 47-year-old Teresita under a pile of clothes and a mattress with a butcher knife sticking out of her chest. Turning it into a homicide, investigators were called. They believed the murderer had set the fire to cover up the murder. The state of her body suggested that she had possibly been sexually assaulted, but autopsy reports state that no signs of abuse were found. With no obvious motive, no witnesses, and no way to know if anything was missing as Teresita lived alone and no one was positive as to what was in her apartment, they knew It was possible a robbery had taken place, and it was clear that there was a struggle. Investigators had no leads to go on. Even after scouring the apartment for any clues they could find, the only piece of evidence was a handwritten note to herself that read, Get theater tickets for A.S. But who could A.S. be? Even though they were interested in finding this person, they spoke to friends, coworkers, neighbors, but the case ended up going cold. Our creepy case continues after a word from our sponsor. Investigators did all that they could to get more information. They made public pleas for anyone to come forward, but they received very few tips on the case and were unable to find any leads. That is until July, 1977. Detective Joe Stacula of Area 6 Homicide and his partner, Detective Lee Eppen, had been working on the case, following every lead that they could. So when they reported to work one morning to a note saying to contact Evanston Police about the Bossa murder, they were more than intrigued and called immediately. They were told to contact Dr. Jose Chua, a doctor who lived in Skokie, a suburb of Chicago. The detective set up an interview with the doctor at his home. He provided them with information they needed to solve the murder. But I can only imagine their initial reaction to what he told them. Now, for someone like myself, who grew up with quite a few paranormal experiences, I can say that I fully, 100% believe in the supernatural. However, I know there are a lot of people who are either skeptical and on the fence with paranormal activity, and there are some who just flat out do not believe in it and think that a lot of it is just a hoax or that it can be explained. And now, I will honestly say that not everything that people think is paranormal or supernatural is. I just know that there are things out there that cannot be explained. But, the next few details may seem unbelievable to some. Dr. Chua actually seemed embarrassed and was kind of hesitant to even tell the detectives what he knew. And he actually started off with small talk and kind of beat around the bush a little bit. And when he finally got to telling them about his experience, he asked if they had any belief in the occult or the supernatural. And while the detectives actually tried not to make him feel bad or embarrass him anymore, it was quite clear that they felt as if they were just wasting their time by talking to him. Dr. Chua began to explain that his wife, Remy Chua, another Philippine native and another respiratory therapist and former co-worker of Teresita, had begun to experience an unexplainable feeling She would get dizzy and nauseous, and she would kind of go into these trance-like states. Um, And at first, she wasn't sure what was happening and thought that maybe there was something medically related. But it continued. And one day, while Remy was actually taking a nap, she sat up and began speaking to Jose in a Spanish accent, which she doesn't have a Spanish accent. She tried to ignore the trances, but it just kept going on, and even dreams of Teresita begin. And Remy would almost become comatose while in these states, but she would still talk to him. And Dr. Chua told detectives that he was unaware of Teresita's murder until these episodes started. So, not wanting to look crazy or foolish, he actually did. That's why he didn't come forward right away, because he knew it kind of sounded bonkers. Um, But... It wasn't until one night during one of her trances the voice or ghost who was possessing her body actually asked him why he hadn't gone to the police when she was giving him all of this information. And he told her that he needed proof. And she actually told him that she needed his help to catch her killer and that The killer's name was Alan Showery, and detectives, while obviously very skeptical, believed that this was the A.S. that they had seen in the memo that Teresita had made for herself, and so they did a little digging. Our creepy case continues after a word from our sponsor. Shh! Do you smell that? The fairies must be whipping up something new over at the Wiccan Fay Candle Nook. The new layered candles are a must have for any candle lover. You can choose from three cents to create your very own garden soiree or Sunday Yummy Sunday. And the options don't stop there. With a wide variety of scent profiles and fun names like Bitch Slap Blue and Chill the Fuck Out, you're bound to find something for everyone. Right now, if you mention the discount code Creepy Spooky at checkout, you can get 10% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to pizzaandpigtails.com, click the link in the left-hand corner, and get your hands on your very own Wiccan Fay candle. Hey, Central Florida dessert lovers, both local and visiting, Are you in need of a cake or a variety of goodies for an upcoming birthday, anniversary, or just because you're an adult and don't need a reason to treat yourself every now and then? The team over at Storybook Delights is ready to accommodate all of your sweet treat needs. Ashley, Stephen, and their little man Lucas, who, by the way, is actually a super fan of creepy cases and spooky spaces, are ready to go with a wide variety of treats from cakes to cupcakes to cookies to cake pops and so much more. And right now, during the spooky season, they have so many awesome, awesome offerings like their storybook nightmare treat box with Nightmare Before Christmas cake pops, booty you pretzels, Haunted Mansion cookies, serial killer cupcakes, and spooky chocolate covered strawberries. And the best part is, all items are 100% custom. So you can get any item themed to any, anything you want. <laughs> it's almost too good to be true. And with delivery to the Disney Resorts, Universal Resorts, and to your own front door, how can you not? And right now, if you mention creepy cases with and spooky spaces with Cassiopeia, you get a free half-dozen order of cake pops added to your order. So head over to Facebook or Instagram, look up Storybook Delights, get those orders in now. And I have to say, as someone who has tried quite a few of Ashley's delicious creations, you can't go wrong. Go now, get those orders in. Shauri was a 32-year-old orderly at the Edgewater Hospital, and yes, that same Edgewater Hospital where Teresita and Remy were both respiratory therapists. Teresita told them he had come to her apartment to fix her television, but he murdered her instead and stole her jewelry and then gave it to his girlfriend. When Remy awoke, she couldn't remember anything that happened or what she said. The voice actually even gave them specific information, like what kind of jewelry it was, that the jewelry was purchased by her father in France as gifts for her mother. She gave names and phone numbers of Ron Samara, Ken Bassa, Richard Pissoth, and Ray Kings. Those are four people who could confirm all of the details about this jewelry. Police showed up at Alan Showery's home that he shared with his girlfriend, Yanka Kamluk. Showerly agreed to go to the police department voluntarily, while Kamluk stayed at the apartment. While questioning him, detectives caught him in quite a few lies. He originally told police that he was supposed to go to Teresita's apartment to fix her television, but she called and canceled, so he went back home to take care of electrical issues there. Detectives then decided to question Yanka, who stated Shaori knew nothing about how to fix electrical issues, and there weren't any at their apartment. They asked her if Shaori had given her any jewelry lately, and she said that he had given her the jade pendant and the pearl ring she was currently wearing at the time pieces were confirmed to belong to Basa by her family. Still unable to believe how they received the information, police confronted Shaori again and he ended up breaking down and confessing. He told police that he needed rent money, so he had actually planned on robbing Teresita when he went over to fix her television. He knew that she would let him in willingly, since she was expecting him, and as soon as she had turned her back on him, he attacked her, rendering her unconscious. He pulled her clothing off to make it look as if it was a sex crime, and then stabbed her in the chest. He searched the apartment for cash, but only found $30, so he took the jewelry as well and then set fire to the scene to cover up his crime. Police booked and charged Showery, and his trial began on January 21st, 1979, where, despite his confection, confession, he pleaded not guilty. The prosecution presented 13 witnesses over the course of four days to a jury of eight men and four women. Allen claimed that he only confessed to the crime after police had fed him information and threatened to arrest him and his pregnant girlfriend on murder charges. He gave an alibi for the night, saying he had dinner with his girlfriend and then met up with some friends to play darts. The trial ended on January 26, 1979 in a mistrial due to a deadlocked jury. A month later, while awaiting a retrial, Showery actually pleaded guilty as his lawyers told him they didn't advise him to take a chance on another jury. He was sentenced to 14 years, 14 years for murder, robbery, and arson. And I find that, and I know this was back a long time ago and things are different now, but even now, I'm kind of shocked at some of the prison sentences and how lenient they are. But seriously, 14 years for... and this was first degree murder. He had planned this. This wasn't, oh, I'm going to go over there, whoops, accidentally knocked her in the head and she died. This was (sighs) premeditated. He was paroled from Stateville Correctional Center near Joliet in July 1983. Yes, 1983, meaning he served less than five years for premeditated first-degree murder, arson, and robbery. And just... I I personally cannot believe that. And I just it just makes me angry. And I I do not ever wish anything bad on anybody, but I really hope that his karma came around to him and I don't know, something painful and anguish. But <laughs> beyond that, so many questions have come from this case. Like did Teresita really reach out from the grave? Because how did Remy know all of this information about the jewelry and how she was murdered and that he was supposed to go over to her house to fix her television and just so many, I mean, and then the names and the, and phone numbers of the people who could confirm the jewelry. And, like, Remy and Teresita knew each other, but they weren't, like, really close friends. So there's no way she would have known all four of these people and all of these details. Uh, Remy did actually say that she received a prank call the night before her first possession But she doesn't know who it was from, although she does believe it was from Alan Showery. Um, Her symptoms started right after she had lost her job, also. And supposedly, he had been complaining about Remy. So, some people think that, like, complaining about her at work, like, job-wise and, um job performance and everything, and he might actually be the reason that she lost her job. And even if it was kind of a way to get back at him, I still don't see how all of that information, like she would have known all of that information. I just cannot find the connection there. And it's just, it's just so crazy. Um, But if you have heard about this case, especially those of you in the Chicago area, um I would actually love to hear if there's anything more like maybe something I didn't find or something that hasn't been uh reported or maybe something that's come out in more recent years that I just wasn't able to find um but I would actually just love love to hear like your thoughts on this case because I know obviously I have quite a few followers who are into the supernatural and the paranormal. And even if you aren't, I'd actually really like to hear about, you know, the other side of it. Like, if you don't believe in the supernatural and the paranormal, how do you think or how do you explain um, the way that this went about? How did she know all of this stuff if she barely knew Terracita? Um, but definitely send me a message um on the Anchor Podcast page. Um shoot me an email, creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com, or follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Um I do a lot of polls and posts on there as well, uh creepycases.spookyspaces. Um and yeah, until next crime. and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production with research, writing, and editing done by yours truly, Cassiopeia. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at creepycases.spookyspaces. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can subscribe directly through the anchor.fm page, which is creepycases-spookyspaces, or you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash creepycases-spookyspaces.